All right, welcome back to Common Intellectual. This week we've got headlines, sports, life and art, business, and Caroline Penner, where we cover Twitter, Web3, and we even get into her time at Stanford and being a part of the introduction phases of Facebook when it was deployed to universities across the country. Very exciting conversation, and let's get to it. Headlines. Sports, we've got the 2021 World Series champions here in Atlanta, Georgia. The Braves have won, and yes, being here in Atlanta, got to be there with Braves fan Sully, so you can hear his instant reaction. Yes! And the parade came through Midtown at around 30 miles an hour, and then got stuck in traffic on 75-85 up to the stadium. Great time. For life and art. We lost an icon. Virgil Abloh, who founded Off-White, is a fashion designer, artist, overall push the boundaries, forget about boundaries, creator, and somebody who inspired me from a very young age, uh, the artwork of this podcast. You can see the three lines of text on the bottom right of every cover art of the most recent album and that's inspired by Virgil uh, that from his Air Jordan off-whites those those were the shoe to have on the artificial hype market uh, that he really created and and went for and his collaborations ranging from Ikea to Nike it just shows that he was willing to push the boundaries so thank you Virgil for empowering all creators thank you and for business, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey has stepped down as CEO. He'll remain on the board until May of next year. He has been with the company since he founded it in 2006. He's also the CEO of Square, which is a company he also founded. And that is a great transition into our conversation with Caroline Penner, who uh, worked with Twitter, worked with Vine, uh, which was a subsidiary of Twitter before it dissolved we'll get into that and more about the social media and web3 world which you'll learn more about i didn't know anything about it before this conversation in web3 so excited to share this conversation with you all and here we go celebrated my grandfather's 90th birthday last weekend wow. so did a long drive back yesterday and made it back in time for the Braves Dodgers game and went to that wow. with some friends so had a fun uh jam-packed day yesterday uh and we're just rolling so it was that's it was fun. awesome yeah I love that. that's awesome yeah. that's great I thought you were gonna say you made it back in time to watch succession do you watch I don't do I need to start Okay, yeah. so you're gonna get me started on succession and you're gonna get me started on Twitter. You, yeah. you were adamant about going on Twitter <laughs> yeah. and you need to start tweeting. Yeah, succession and Twitter. Yeah, those are my two. I mean, there are other shows I would probably advocate for as well, but uh succession was the one that had a new a new episode last night, new season start. So it's particularly I, top of mind. Yeah, all I've heard is that it's absolutely crazy. 
insane. Yeah. It's very good. It's, um, there's a lot, like there's a lot happening. It's like fast paced and good drama and, uh, yeah, like some, some things are like expected at times, but there's a lot of kind of unexpected twists and turns and stuff. It's definitely very entertaining. That's awesome. Okay. I, yeah. I will add that to my, my television watching. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then for Twitter, I have started tweeting. I tried live tweeting the Cardinals game and it was quite exhilarating. I had my heart broken in front of the world. Uh, so that was awesome yeah but it's just it's just crazy how like you you tweet and you're putting different articles out there and it's why did you start tweeting what was the thing that made you be like okay I'm just gonna do this um so I started using Twitter right like in back in 2007 which was when I had first started working in communications at Google so um I kind of actually started more so in a professional context I guess um it had been out for like maybe a year at that point maybe a little more and I guess like at at first when I started using it it was more it felt more like messaging in public, like the way we used Twitter at that time was really different. I probably followed a small number of colleagues and was followed by a small number of colleagues, you know? So it sort of didn't, it it like had kind of a different purpose. Like we used to tweet, you know, someone would tweet, I missed, you know, I missed the BART train to come down to Mountain View, like, you know, so I'll be a little late or like whatever, you know, it was like, as if it was almost like, like Slack or something, but which didn't exist yet at that point. So I started using it in that way, which is, I guess was just kind of like colleague peer pressure. And then really, and then like, you know, I think more and more people were kind of using it in some form or another in the tech world, as far as like journalists and reporters and employees and things like that. And I think that like over time, the platform itself started to become, it really started to like open up you know, my eyes and I think people's eyes to just like what it means, what it can mean for there to be content that is like shared accessible the moment that it's like created really, which is like not, and again, this was 2007. So like that, you know, that wasn't necessarily what we are used to. We are used to like articles and TV shows and these things that are kind of written and rewritten or shot and filmed and edited and re-edited and reshot and, you know, all of that. And so the real time nature of it started to really kind of take off. And then just like the ability to kind of hear from people that you wouldn't like hear directly from, or, you know, kind of communicate directly with people that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to access, I think is what started to kind of make it feel really compelling. Um, But yeah, that was kind of where, where it all got started for me. And then like my usage of it naturally took off like once, uh, I mean, I was using it a lot before I started working there, but once I started working there too, you like really drink the Kool-Aid. Of yeah. And it's, and it's such a new product at the time that you start using it, that you, you describing it to me when we first met as a public group chat where anybody can interact was fascinating because I always had the perception of it's a war zone. And so when you put it in that context to say, this is something that you can 
publish something and see what the engagement is like. And I follow a news source Axios and I had never heard of them until I use Twitter and to see the articles they're putting out, the way that they break down their articles as to why this matters, what is important in this article and, and how this can shape what's going on in society was fascinating. It's a way that news had never been portrayed to me before. So just in that sense, and to your point of the real-time publication, it's something that I had never come across before. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting too, because a lot of people feel like using Twitter means like posting. Um, And like, there's a, there's, and this has been a, like a, this is like for a long time, I think has been one of the challenges just for the company in general and for the product in general is that people don't actually like back in the day, I used to like talk to people and they would say, Oh, like, Oh yeah, I don't really use Twitter. And I'd be like, like, yeah, you do. I, you like, like my tweets and you like respond sometimes. And they'd be like, well, yeah, I do that. But like, I don't really use it. And I'm like, of course you use it. Like that. What do you think you're doing when you're opening the app and interacting with content. And, but like a lot of people thought about using it as tweeting and like as sharing things. And I think that like that, I think getting over that hump of like, you don't have to, or just like, you know, kind of disregarding that misperception of you don't have to actually be creating content if you don't want to, but there's just like a lot, there's a lot of information that you can access. And, um, even honestly, frankly, like even during, the elections and stuff while it can, or like, you know, in the midst of COVID and COVID itself, vaccines, kind of efficacy of vaccines, the importance of masking, all of that. It's, it's like, it's helpful and really eye-opening to actually be able to like see other people's perspectives and to see people who, to your point, hopefully it doesn't turn. Like there are people that get really nasty out there when there are, you know, kind of whether they're facts or opinions, like ideas that are shared that are, that are kind of contradictory to, to one's own. And I think that it's, you know, it's, it's, um, while it can be sort of discouraging to see that that is the reality that we live in, it's like, that is the reality that we live in. And I think it's better to kind of have eyes open to that rather than not. Um, so, but yeah, it's, um, it's a, yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun product. And I will say too, like, keep, like keep following accounts and follow accounts if they're like, like, you know, if you're kind of get your, if like every now and then when they tweet, you're just annoyed. It's like, just get rid of them. Like, you know, it's, it's a, an ever evolving thing. Um, I saw someone tweet actually the other day that they wish that Twitter every like 18 months would just like reset your follower, like your following account to zero. Like, and I was like, that would actually be like, I don't think they should do it automatically, but it would be kind of nice to have that be an option of like, I just want to like kind of start over because there's a lot of kind of like gunk, you know, in terms of your feed that where people might stick around just because it's like, you don't like dislike them. So you don't want to unfollow them, but you might not necessarily find their day-to-day thoughts particularly (laughs) compelling anymore. Um, Right. Well, I think it's funny when, when you say that, because you found, I, we met because I overheard you saying that Jack Dorsey unfollowed you. And it was like, did, did I hear that right? And it was a bot that says that. So I, it was it was fascinating when I found out that there was something that actually says, okay, 
you get a notification that you're unfollowed. So it would be very nice to be able to have that feature. Well, that's not common. That's not Oh, a it's common. not. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> like, like a bot. Oh. That's a bot that uh, looks at activity of high profile tech okay. people. Um, and so, but yeah, that like typically there's not a, an alert of that. So yes, don't, don't let that, uh, don't let that intimidate you as far as unfollowing people. They'll, they'll, they'll likely not know. Um, you got it. Well, when you started at Twitter, was it, were there things like this that you were looking at for user experience and how it can be a more evergreen experience or was it more evolving the platform? What kind of thing? Cause it was so new when you started. Yeah. So I started working there. I started working there in April of 2010. So it was still new. It was still new. It was still new, but it felt a little bit less new. I'd say like, um, I mean, at that point I'd been using it for a few years, but like, so my work really focused on, uh, like in working in communications. And at that point, like being, I was the second person to join the communications team. So there was like the VP and then me and, um, so much of our, actually at that point, like, so our, the main point of our job was to, uh, like really like tell the story of Twitter and like through primarily through, like through press. So we did a lot of work with reporters. And at that point, the communications team was really, I mean, small and very new. So my boss had joined at the end of 2016. And actually like the main thing that we had to do just as a starting point was just get back to and start talking to a lot of these journalists who had been reaching out to the company and like not getting responses or not necessarily getting the support that they needed because their job, their job at that point was to sort of cover whether it was like a broad, like, you know, social media or tech in general or startups or Silicon Valley, you know, companies or whatever it was like, depending on their kind of beat. Um, the reality was that like whatever area they were covering, Twitter kind of slotted in for a lot of different companies as like a company to kind of pay attention to and be writing about. And so when they were getting in touch with the company, they would just like not get responses. So like one of the first things that we had to do was just kind of start getting back to them and um, letting them know that we're like here to support them and doing their jobs. And, um, and then like just figuring out what is how do we talk about this thing externally in a way that resonates with people? Cause um, like it's, it's fascinating to me that the same struggles kind of still exist today, but the truth is like back in 2010, people that, you know, weren't sure how to fit Twitter into their day or whether they wanted an yet another thing to check and all of that. And I think, you know, obviously there are way more users today than there were in 2010, but you know, there are still people who kind of have those challenges. So that was a lot of work I did, but yeah, the company, um, the company at that point was doing, I mean, yeah, tons of work and like always has, I think around kind of figuring out what is a good experience for people. Um, how do you help people like get started? You know, like if you're signing up for the first time as you've maybe gone through recently, like how does the product kind of surface accounts to you that you might be interested in following? How do we help you kind of understand how to use the product um, and all of that stuff? So uh, yeah, there was um, the product back then. I mean, weirdly, actually, when I started working at Twitter, they didn't even have their own mobile like app. Um, they only had the website and then they did 
uh, they like worked with, they had like an API available that developers could use to build their own apps. And um, when I joined, like shortly after I joined, we launched like Twitter for Android. And then a little bit after that was like Twitter for iPhone. So, um, which is like, yeah, it makes me feel really old, <laughs> but um, that's it's huge. like, yeah, it was, um, well, yeah. And I mean, at that point too, like mobile was still new. Like when I worked at Google, most of my job was like, my main job was doing, um, was doing like mobile communications. And it was sort of all of these products that you know and love were like becoming available on your phone. And that was this crazy thing in, you know, 2008, 2009, um, which is funny to think back on and, yeah. and interesting too, to kind of think to like, uh, reflect on in particular, I think now with like a lot of, you know, a lot of momentum around like web three and crypto and all of that stuff. It'll be interesting to see like how that stuff evolves and takes shape over the next, you know, handful of years. Yeah. And what's web three? Web three is like uh, at the highest level, it's like the next, like web two being kind of where we've been living now, like web 2.0, as far as um, the types of like products and companies that have like kind of come up in the last, I'd say, God, like 10 to 15 years. And so web three is sort of the next iteration of that. And there's a lot of, um, I'd say like one of the main tenants around it is around like decentralization and kind of putting the, putting like ownership into the hands of like the people and creators. And it's like a little bit more focused on like the creator economy, but, um, a lot of like, there's a lot of like, energy right now around kind of that what is that like next version of um of like tech companies going to look like and um how do you like create a scenario where the people who are creating content are actually getting uh where like the economy is set up for them there where like the people that are creating content and contributing to these platforms are like getting um compensated and like rewarded for that rather than just simply uh, bringing value to the platform, like for nothing. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of like nuance to it and it's still sort of a very, um, it's still at its like very early stages, but, um, definitely worth like reading or, uh, following some peeps on Twitter. And it sounds like that was where you were when you were with Twitter and Google was sort of the adolescent stages of web two and starting out with, these these new platforms and what are they going to turn into and the first thing that came to mind when i thought communications and press is if you turn on espn in starting in probably 2013 and you would know better than i you have actual live tweets that are on the screen and you can see what people are tweeting and now you have live chats in youtube or live stream on instagram and you have tweets that are just posted during Turner media events. And so it's become integrated into our overall entertainment package. And it seems like that's something that is changing and evolving. So what kind of questions were you asking then to say, this is where we need to be to make sure that it's integrated, not only into people's life, but into society and is that something that you feel is going to go into web three? I think that the, so that it's a, that's a great question around the integration and stuff. I think the web three stuff is like going to, is a little bit separate as in particular, just because it's still so early. Um, I think that like, 
as far as where Twitter, like Twitter at that time, I mean, yeah, the main, in general, like one of the main things that like every company, not every company, actually, I shouldn't say that, like most consumer companies um, strive for is like this sense of, uh, and like ideally a reality of like, everyone's using this thing and, or watching this thing, you know, whether, you know, maybe it's a new movie or a TV show or a car or a app or whatever it is. Like you want to kind of create the sense that like the people, people who are savvy and knowledgeable are, you know, using this product or have access to this product or watching this product. And so like, that's definitely, um, that was like part of, I'd say like a broader strategy in general. But I think the thing too was with Twitter that was so awesome and frankly, like really unique is that the, like those conversations, and by the way, it was, it was like a different, there's like another team that kind of does some of that more partnerships work um, at Twitter rather than like, we were a little bit more focused around like, like you can imagine if there was an article that was like, you know, the 10 tweets that capture the energy of like this game or something. Whereas like the integration within the on-air stuff was like a different team, but it all kind of laddered up to the same approach. But those companies wanted, they want the content, you know, they want like how awesome to be able, like you've got, you know, commentators commenting on a game, but like how awesome to be able to bring in, you know, energy and comments from real people who are like at home or at the game themselves watching and you know, whereas like a commentator may not necessarily be able to like, you know, they sort of have to be professional, but if you show a tweet that's like, you know, got like hundreds of exclamation marks or all caps or tons of emojis. And like, there's a way to kind of capture that like roar of the crowd feeling through like showing the content. And so, um, in the really early days, like there, it was, there was like a little bit of an effort for sure around making that kind of part of the norm and part of the like way of sort of reporting on a thing that was like surfacing the like surfacing tweets about it. But the reality was the content was there so quickly. And in some instances, um, there's like a kind of famous, like there was a plane that landed in the Hudson river back in like, oh gosh, I forget what year it was early though. I mean, 2000, eight, nine, maybe I forget, but there's a plane that landed in the Hudson and like it got reported first on Twitter. Like someone saw it land in the Hudson, like took a picture of it, tweeted it. And like, that was how people found out about it. So like that news broke on Twitter. It was there before it was somewhere else. Um, and that's definitely been, there were like kind of moments like that in the company and like the product's lifetime where you sort of like, it kind of hits you in the face of like, oh, wow, this product has a lot of potential to like surface information that, you know, people frankly wouldn't be able to, um, to like get or confirm another way. Um, and like traditional media at that point wasn't set up to move as quickly. So, um, it was, it, yeah, getting like getting the tweets on air and stuff was definitely, uh, it definitely created a, like a win-win situation, I would say both for the company of like Twitter, as well as just for the media companies themselves, as far as like giving them fresh content to be able to show and, um, some shows too, like Jimmy Fallon and stuff, they'll do stuff where they'll like have people tweet with a hashtag and then like that might end up on the show and stuff. So there's a lot of interplay, like more deliberate interplay these days. 
um, which happens on other platforms too, of course. I feel, but I feel like with Twitter, it's, it's so much easier. Cause like you said earlier, when it's not a post, when somebody's putting something out there, it's just, they're making a statement. They're, they're just expressing themselves in, in a short, it is a post, but you're not, it's, yeah. it feels different. It feels like you are yeah. just saying something and people can interact with it and it's meant to be interacted with. And so it's just something that is so unique where I feel like other platforms, you can definitely talk about it on the mainstream media, whether it's Jimmy Fallon or on ESPN, it just almost feels different with Twitter because you're getting an instant reaction versus something that may be more thought out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, and I'm curious too, for you as like an, as an earlier or like newer user, um, do you like feel a difference as far as like the, I don't, I don't know how to ask you this without like guiding you. Do you feel a difference in terms of the authenticity or like realness in terms of like what you're posting there relative to another platform, like an Instagram, for example. And yes. And I think that, I think that you, I think I may have been leading beforehand because I definitely think through an Instagram post more than I would think through a Twitter post. Right. And so yeah. when I was yeah, live for better or for worse, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So during an Instagram post, I am just posting it and it's there and I don't really think anything of it. For example, when I was doing the live tweeting for the, the baseball game, it's just, okay, this is what's going on at the moment. And it's making me feel this way, or I'm just getting mad or happy. And you can do that and people are going to interact with it or they're not. And it's just there. So in that sense, I'm not thinking about it. It's just going. Yeah. And so uh, you, you helped out when you said it's like a public group chat to give me that mindset is to be like, okay, well, who cares? Like there, you can post 50,000 times and you're, you're just posting. And so it had a, I had a different mindset going into yeah. it than I did before talking to you, because I always thought of it like an Instagram where it should be thought out. And it's because I hadn't gone on it and only heard the negative parts about it. And so it was something that I just hadn't had the experience of being engaged with it. And it's interesting because when you started with Twitter, you were going with Google. I'm sure that you probably didn't have any idea of what this was going to turn into today where it's, or maybe you did. It's just, yeah, it's just crazy how you're able to see how putting an instant reaction out there and it has no context whatsoever, maybe the next day or the next week, but in that moment, it meant something. Yeah. Yeah. Like sports, sports events in particular have, have like long been really powerful on Twitter. Um, and it's like always funny when you're, even if you're not watching a game, you like, know there's a game on. Cause like all of a sudden it's like, everyone's like, you know, with like expletives and stuff, you know, it's like, holy shit. Like, curry or you know whatever like that dunk or and you're like okay like you can kind of piece together what's going on even if you're not like watching um or in like again and you like don't necessarily have the context it's just like oh like you know and like that's the tweet and you're just like if you're you're not part of it but it kind of like 
there is, there is this like FOMO element that comes into play too, where you're like, wait, everyone, like a lot of people in my feed are watching this thing. Like maybe I should go watch it now. Um, right. Yeah. It's perfect marketing material. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's like not, there's like so right. little information in it. Yeah. Um, and I do think by the way that like, as you also mentioned earlier, like hopefully it doesn't change as far as like Twitter. I do think that like, as people get uh, like to be, you know, to like be transparent about this, like as I think as people get like bigger followings and stuff, like it does become something where you have to be a little bit more like thought, you know, you, you, you probably want to be a little bit more thoughtful about it, but I do think nonetheless, like people in general, I think are, are just like a bit more, uh, a bit more casual or a bit more like themselves, um, on Twitter, for like, for whatever reason. And I think it has, it has held true. Even if you look at like a, like a Chrissy Teigen or something, there's like stuff that she can kind of spout off on Twitter, um, a little bit more freely that she like, that like, you know, doesn't necessarily have a photo to be attached to it. So it doesn't necessarily end up on like an, in an Instagram feed or a story or something. Um, and I think that yeah, there's a lot of fun to it. So yeah, it was a working there was a wild time. Yeah. And there, there is that element to think because I just have heard many times and, and most recently with the John Gruden situation with emails, something like Twitter that is so public and you have a history that can go back decades. That's something that now being scrubbed by cancel culture, it seems like, yeah, once you get mm. that bigger following, it's it's so intimidating and you have to be very intentional when you're doing something now that can have repercussions later. Whereas I'm sure early on, it was like, okay, I'm just going to say whatever. And this is just something I just to think of how it evolved into what it is today, which is a beast of a platform that has a database that is so large of just simple posts and it starts with just being yourself and then it turns into something that needs to be upheld, which seems like it's a little bit unnatural to what its initial intent was. Um, maybe, I mean, I think at the end of the day, though, a lot of that I think sits with like the person you know, like the, the tweeter, if you will, like, um, the, at like, at the, like Twitter started as like this notion of like, it could be cool if people could just like share their thoughts. And actually way back in the day, it was like, it was like the platform that quote unquote, like the platform that people used to talk about like what they were eating for breakfast and that it was this sort of like the, it was kind of thought of as like where people shared things that were sort of like of no consequence, you know, it's like, cool. You had toast and like yesterday you had cereal or whatever. It's like, who cares? Um, and I think that like, but at the end of the day, there was this element of, you know, there's like, there's power in, in like voice, like more voices being heard, more people having a platform, um, like the ability to kind of see or hear from people that you wouldn't otherwise see and hear from. And so I think a lot of that actually does remain. Um, it was like never meant to be a place. Like, I think if you're like, 
if you're sharing what's on your mind and what's on your mind is thoughts or opinions that are racist or, um, mean or like, uh, you know, just like not, not, not open or close-minded right. or whatever it is, then like, then like, yeah, like that will get kind of pulled apart, but like, that is still who you are. Right. And so I think that like, there's this, um, it's interesting. Cause it's like, sometimes people are like, Oh God, I'm like scared to tweet because like, what if I end up like this one person who like tweeted something racist before getting on a plane and then like, like landed from her flight and like had lost her job. Because, and it's like, but like, who was that again? There, there was somebody that that happened to, yeah. right? Her name's just, I think her name was Justine Sacco, I think was her name. Um, now I'm going to look it up. To well, see, it's, but it, it's also the person, name. it's also the person to your point. You're absolutely right. If you're well, yeah, having those like, thoughts, like, then... but you're not going to tweet something racist. So like, that's okay. Right. But when you said that when you get a higher following that you have to be more intentional about it, it's, I mean, I'm somebody that's just starting out on Twitter. So I guess I don't have to think about it as much because this is, I, I live tweeted a, a sporting event. I'm posting my podcast on Twitter. That's a, that's about it. And yeah. uh, I'm still being intentional about it. And so you've been doing it for a while. You've been tweeting since 2008. So you have a presence there. So how does that evolve? Um, I would say that like, I, it, it definitely has not evolved in at all, like a deliberate way. Okay. I think that like at times, I, I, I mean, I, I would say what in some ways what has evolved is like, depending on where I'm working or like what I'm doing in my career, I'm like very vocal about the company. So like when I worked at Twitter, I tweeted a lot about Twitter. When I worked at Vine, I tweeted a lot about Vine. When I worked at Dyson, you know, same with Dyson. Um, and like now that I'm consulting, I probably tweet like, a, you know, a little bit about clients, but also a little bit more just like about kind of like the broader, like ecosystem like tech ecosystem and things like that um I think I'm probably a little bit less vocal on Twitter today than I was before um which I think is a combination of things I think some of it is just like uh I I would say in like my uh I don't know as I've like matured there's a there's an element of like of recognition that like my my like voice or my contribution doesn't necessarily like always need to be shared. Like I try to kind of, I think before I was like, I have a thought people should hear it. Like people will care. And so I would share it more quickly. I think now I'm a little bit more mindful of like, is this, you know, is this unique? Is this, um, is this thoughtful? Am I like, do I like want, do I like, do I feel strongly enough about this thing to kind of share it? So I think I'm a little bit more thoughtful about it in that regard. Um, but then I also have times where like, I'll be like on a flight and bored and I'll just like be tweeting a lot more kind of like not recklessly per se, but like a lot more often, um, as like kind of like a time filler thing. And so that's, it's like that sort of my old way of tweeting, I would say, where I used to just be a lot more, uh, a lot more like chatty if you will um but the other thing too is like I think over the years I've probably gotten a little bit more 
just a little bit more thoughtful around like just how much time I spend on my phone in general and trying to like be a little bit more present in life. I think Twitter has like a really powerful, uh, I mean, as do all these apps, but like Twitter in particular, if you're like, like today, Apple had like a event where they like announced new computers and AirPods and all that. And it's like, if when you're like, like watching the commentary, it like can really suck you in for a long time. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, an hour and a half has gone by and you're like, you've seen the same, you know, three tweets about computers and AirPods. And it's like, I probably could have done something else with my day. Um, so yeah, I just try to be a little bit more thoughtful about that, but yeah, I don't like my main people like I'll sometimes help founders and stuff with like a Twitter strategy or, you know, like they'll kind of be like, what should my Twitter strategy be? And I'm, I'm sort of, I tend to kind of guide people on like, just like talk about the stuff that you're interested in and like respond to people who are sharing opinions like about those things too, is like probably the easiest way to get started. And for some people that they want that to be their job and some people want it to be hobbies and some people want it to be, you know, issues that they care a lot about. And some people want it to be all of the things. And I think a lot of it too, is just kind of like, and like, you know, for you, it's like, you've got sports and you've got the podcast and it's like that right there is like a really easy way to start. And like, at some point you might see someone weigh in on something that, or like comment on something that you have an opinion on and you'll find yourself responding. And it's like, you can just do that. And that's one of the things that's kind of nice. You know, there might be a bit of like, who are you to be saying this, but it's like people, then they just look at your account and they're like, oh shit, like you, you know, you live here or you work here or you used to work here or you've like done a whole podcast on this thing or whatever it is. And so they can kind of dive in and get a better sense of like where that sits. Um, so yeah, I've been pretty, um, I'm not like, I wouldn't consider myself, uh, I think if you're, if you, when like you're a creator or like influencer in like a much more traditional sense where it's like part of your business. And I think you, that's like where you kind of have to get a little bit more intentional about what your, um, kind of social media presence presences, I guess, yeah. look like, um, I thankfully I'm not in that world. Well, cause you have to, it seems like you have to be intentional. I follow barstool sports and they tweet for a living. Um, and so just, that was the first thing that came to mind. And for you going through the different phases of tweeting, if you will, it seems like the, the theory of wiping out all of your followers would be a pretty good idea to just, this is a life change. I'm not doing this anymore. Now this is my intention. And it's interesting that you say that because I had that similar transition with the podcast where initially I wanted to have long form conversations, be able to talk to people, see what they were doing. And I was really glad that I did it. I've had conversations that have gone as long as five hours and awesome, awesome conversations. And now I just have an intention of being more condensed specific because that's the time that I'm in and in in life those are the transitions that you make also I played a sport in college and that was and and so did you and so it's like I want to be an entertainer so I want to entertain people I want to make sure that they're interested in the things I'm putting out there so I have to be thoughtful in that sense and make sure that I'm putting in time and making sure that the time is being spent on the right things. Yeah. I mean, I think, and it, well, it's interesting too. Cause like, I, I actually haven't really done the like accounts I'm following cleanse 
yet. Um, I'll like go through every now and then and kind of like look at, you know, kind of all like scroll through and sort of often it's like that person doesn't, isn't even really active on the platform anymore. So, but I, I have considered it. And I think cause some of it too, it's like, yeah, it's just kind of like life, life stages, you know, and like who the, you know, probably the, like some of the accounts I followed and I follow a lot of accounts too, so I should say that, but like some of the accounts I followed back in like 2009, like might not be all that relevant to me today. Um, so yeah, it is really interesting. And I think it's cool to be like, I think it's important to be like deliberate and intentional about just like all of those things. Cause I mean, you know, you're spending a good amount of time on an app like Twitter, you're, you're, you know, you're hearing from some, you know, some of these people are like occupying a lot of time and space in your brain. And, um, I think that like, for me, actually, one of the things that I've been trying to do is just follow, like try to like break out of the kind of natural filter bubble that exists. If you kind of only follow people in your, in your own world, like, you know, it's like, if you just follow a bunch of like white people who work in tech, you're going to kind of hear the same perspective over and over again. But if you start following, you know, different people who live in different parts of the country or different parts of the world or with different political beliefs. And, um, you know, it's like, I think that there's, there's a lot to be said for just kind of being open-minded to, to, or just like having an understanding of where people are coming from. I mean, I moved as you know, like moved to Austin earlier this year and like, for like, I, as someone who's grew up in the Bay area and then lived in New York for six and a half years, I now live in a state where like, there are like daily and weekly conversations happening around abortion, which they've like tried, they're like trying to outlaw. And thankfully there's some resistance to it, like actually getting put into place. So we'll see where that happens. But every now and then I'm like, this is crazy that it's 2021. And like, I live in a state where, um, right. like this can't happen. And as like a daughter of a doctor and, you know, I mean, there's all these, like just a woman in general, it's like, there's these, it's like, how can that even, how can that be possible? But it's like, it is. And I think that, you know, we're there, you know, other states might follow suit and it's just kind of like, I think people, I was shocked by it, um, that particular one, but I think like, you know, you've got people, a lot of people in this country who supported, a the, you know, our prior president and, you know, there's, um, there are like, we live in a divided country and you kind of have to accept that that's the reality that we live in right now. And I think sort of hoping it's not the case or hoping that it'll change or trying to just like ignore it or pretend it's not there. It's like still there. Um, you still have to kind of know how to navigate it. So, um, yeah, it's been, a uh, it's cool too. I think like the the evolution of like, yeah, just like your podcast, it's like all the things, you know, it's like stuff with work, stuff with career, like you can kind of just, and like, you get to make those changes. You one day could like, be like, actually, it's going to become a blog. Actually, it's going to be three minute clips, like, you know, or whatever it is, like you kind of are getting all this rich content. You can kind of put it out in the world, however it feels the most exciting, but. Right. It's because you evolve as a person and you're, you're growing to become the best version of yourself. At least that's the mindset that I take. And 
that's what I was like when I was playing a sport in college. And even before that, just playing a sport growing up. And that's the, that's the mindset that I've developed over time is that if I'm not growing, then I'm staying stagnant. And so that's just the, the way that I approach it. And I think that's one of the scarier things to me about social media is that you have people that don't have that same mindset and they stay stuck in that and they stay following the same people. And I, I, I know that there's, there's things that happen obviously in someone's life to, to make those changes personally and in real life, but also now the digital footprint and what people are engaging in has a huge impact in that. And especially with what we've gone through in the past year and a half, it's something that you're locked in your house and you have one thing with you that can entertain you. And that is your phone. And that is really scary when you have something like an election that is so divisive in a country that is already on edge. And that's, that's where I got my perception Mm, of Twitter was the election. And I don't want to see what is going on in this war zone. And now we're seeing it go into real life. And I spoke with somebody who writes about a lot of this stuff, uh, Josh Petersell, and he came on the podcast and he was amazing because I talked to him. I said, do you watch Black Mirror? And I watched The Social Dilemma and Black Mirror as well. And he was like, I'm not going to watch Black Mirror because there's so much, there's so many exciting things that go on with technology that we that we were always afraid of. We had the elevator that was a crank and you had an operator in there that was helping the elevator go up. And as soon as it turned to a, an electric system and it was able to go on its own, people didn't want to get in it. So he feels like it's the same thing as the technology transition that we're making today and something that was as powerful as black mirror and social dilemma to say this digital age is strictly digital. It's on a platform. And as soon as it makes that transition into real life, like we've seen in other countries and we are now seeing in our own, it becomes real. And a lot of that real on Twitter and other social media platforms are very scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's, uh, I do. Yeah, I do. I agree that there's a, I, I've long felt like social media should be a like complement to real life and sort of, a. um, I mean, really like Twitter is, always been particularly compelling to me relative to other like social platforms um in part because of just like the belief system of the company like it's like at their heart they're like a good company um but also I think because a lot of it is like it's a and like Instagram in particular has really evolved into this but it's not it's not so like look at my life, look how glam it is. Look like, you know, it's not like such a FOMO platform as much as it is sort of just as, a, you know, like talking to people or interacting with people or hearing from people or whatever it is. And it, fe- it feels like a nicer compliment to 
like going out and doing things in the world or experiencing things. And you would say Instagram is, I think Twitter is a much is better for that. I think Instagram is like, yeah, Instagram is so much more like, and actually talk about a platform that has like evolved away from what its initial like purpose was, but Instagram is so much more like, you know, like this, like, like this, false sheen of um you know like this perfect life that I live and although now I do I do think it's nice that like I feel like we're starting to see more people like more influencers and stuff talking about like they'll show a picture of their like screaming sobbing baby or something and they're like just so you know it's like not always like you know I'm always posting like really cute pics of you know baby whatever like baby whoever but you know sometimes it it's like often actually not easy. So I do have like a lot of respect for those people, like those influencers who I think know that they do have a huge platform and that they, they have kind of built a following that's rooted on fantasy in some ways. And I think they're kind of trying to claw that back a little bit as individuals, but the platform itself is like, so far down that path that, um, you know, the, the whole thing on its own, I think like represents a whole different, like a whole different reality. Um, so yeah, I know there's a lot, but, but it allows everybody to have a voice. And so that's the age that we're in now. And when you have, I just back to the original point is if you did a scrub of everybody, just to, if you were to deliberately think, this person is having a negative impact yeah. on my life. Yeah. And, and maybe you don't even realize it until you actually just look at their profile and it's like, oh my gosh, they're altering the way that I'm thinking. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Or just like your vibe, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like some, you know, if someone is like constantly complaining about like first world problem things, it's kind of like, okay, you know, like there's a lot of other <laughs> things going on in the world. Like, right. and yeah, but yeah, all those people all like all kind of cleanse from my timeline where it's like, if I've like seen five of your tweets and all five of them have made me feel like angry or agitated in some way, then it's like, nope, you're like, I don't need to have, have this be a regular part of my day that goes back to the, like the, that, like, just again, just the realization of you have a platform and like what you say, it may, yeah, it may not get a lot of likes every time or something, but for me, that's like, not why I'm saying things. It's more just to kind of like put some perspective out there. And if something doesn't hit the bar for me of like people I think that like at least a few people who follow me will find this interesting, then like I won't share it. And I think that sometimes just like complaining about things is, wouldn't necessarily meet the bar. Um, right. I could tweet all day if I was just like complaining about small <laughs> things in my life, you know, but it's like, it's not, it's not that compelling. And, and you were somebody that was at the beginning phases of this. I almost grew up around this and this was. Yeah, the, you were so digital, resistant the, to it right the digital the digital persona was part of growing up and i remember in when i was 13 my parents allowed me to have facebook for the first time and that was a huge deal so and crazy and so when you were running track at stanford and you were doing your college thing killing it 
you decided to make the transition into tech. It was obviously going into the tech age and the digital transformation that was also right in the middle of the recession. And so you had to make a very intentional decision to say, this is what the future of our world is going to be. And this is where I need to be. So how did you make that decision to say, this is, this is what's going to, to be. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you make it sound like I was way more profound than I actually was. Um, I, it sounds good on a resume to say Stanford, (laughs) Google. I like, I, uh, I had, I'd run for just a little over a year at Stanford. And then I stopped like a couple weeks into my sophomore year. And, um, I would say that like, that definitely left me feeling kind of lost. Like I'd been doing sports since I was four. Um, and I'd like always been on a team and, um, kind of like, you know, competitions sort of guided, like when I would drink or not, or, you know, like there was a lot, or like, if I had a hard track workout, I would like get a good night's sleep. And I'd say that a lot of that, like my life was kind of revolved around what my training schedule was and competitions were like, and all of that stuff. Um, I quit for a number of reasons, but one of them being that frankly, I just, I like, will never forget this race, but there, it was a 1500 meters. And it was like this woman and I were like neck and neck going down the straightaway. And I mean, this was for probably, I'm not even probably for like last and second to last, like the competition was so fierce at that level. And like in the past, I would have never, I would have like run to the point of my legs giving out under me to like, not let to like make sure or do the best I could to like, not let someone beat me. And I remember like sprinting and just like struggling and hurting down the straightaway. We probably had like 10 meters left. And I just kind of was like, I just sort of like ever so slightly backed off and kind of let her get a finish a little bit in front of me. And I was just was kind of like, I just don't feel, I didn't have that same competitiveness, you know, it's like what you get this place or I get this place. Like I was kind of just like, who cares? And that was definitely a moment for me where I was like, I've kind of just like grown out of this, or this isn't like the thing that I need to be doing anymore. After that, I like sort of thought I might run like competitively post-college, like professionally in some form or another, possibly. So I'd say that like quitting definitely carried with it, like a lot of weight for me. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. There was a part of me that had wanted to go into medicine, but then Stanford was on the quarter system. So you had to take like seven quarters of chemistry to do pre-med. And I took one quarter of chemistry and I was like, no, like, I don't want to do any more of these ever again. So I kind of got off that track and actually I was going to go into teaching was like my, um, I had always done a lot of like stuff with kids and kind of was like a TA. And when I was like in elementary or like middle school in the summer for summer school and stuff. So I was going down that path and actually interned at Google between my junior and senior year of college, um, doing like a role that wasn't particularly interesting, but it gave me a chance to work at Google for the summer. And while I was there, I talked with like I had lunch or coffee with like anyone who would possibly talk to me and kind of learned about the, you know, the areas that they work in and all of that stuff, what they do. And fortunately, one of my best friends, her older sister was working in communications at Google. So I got lunch with her a few times and kind of was like, what do you, what do you mean you do like PR? And my, (laughs) 
my only exposure to PR at that time, um, was like Samantha from sex in the city. She was a more like, so she's like a celebrity publicist. And I was like, how do you do this for Google? Like, I don't get it. And at the time she told me like, she was like, if, if like someone like Sergey, you know, Bryn first name basis, if someone like Sergey talks on the phone with the New York times, I'm on the phone call, make sure he doesn't say something dumb. And I was like, I could totally do that job. Like, you're just like making sure they don't say dumb things. That sounds great. And so I applied for a job in communications. I also applied for a job in product marketing. Um, I got the job in communications and I'd been enrolled to do like a fifth year at Stanford to do my, to get like a master's in education and my teaching credential. And honestly, the thought process was like interning at Google was really fun. I definitely had a sense of like, Google is like, but at that point, Google was kind of already Google, like it was 2007. So I was like, Google seems like a really fun and cool place to work for someone young. I can teach anytime. Like I could, you know, I can do that later in my life if I want to. And so I just like took that job and honestly thought I would do it for like two years. Like I was like, I'll work in communications for two years. I'll use that time to kind of figure out what I actually want to do. I wasn't like particularly like techie, I guess. Like, you know, I wasn't playing video games or buying the latest, you know, I don't know, AV equipment, or I wasn't like obsessed with like what computer I was going to have. I just sort of, you know, I had my Apple laptop and stuff like that in college, but like nothing crazy. And I just got like really into it. I think the, I think the storytelling nature of communications was like, it was really, it was really cool to like, to me to sort of learn learn about like learn before anyone else in the world knew what was going on to like know what a company like Google was doing and then to have a hand in like shaping how we are going to talk about it to the outside world so that people both understood it and felt excited about it like I just got really kind of addicted to it and then um obviously going to Twitter like once I once I went to Twitter and kind of was in a in a job that frankly uh was like I was like a little underqualified for like, not truthfully, but like I was a little young, I think for that role, that role kind of forced me to like grow up. And I kind of got thrown in the deep end of like doing things that definitely someone at Google would have, it would have been like my boss handling some of that stuff at Google. Cause it was such a big company, but because Twitter was so small, I like kind of got the chance to do things that I might not have otherwise been able to do. And yeah, I just kind of like, I've, I've stayed really like, I've really remained interested in, I think like the power of tech and the power of like positive stories, especially in today's, um, in today's day and age, and really just trying to take like a really kind of honest and authentic approach to that stuff and not be too, not put like, I've, I've always been kind of resistant to like PR spin and kind of feeding BS to a reporter and stuff like that. That's like never been my MO. So, um, yeah, that was, but it, it was, it was really just kind of like following my gut. I was like, this is fun. And it seemed like this was a fun summer internship and it could be pretty sweet to work here for a couple of years. And, um, and then, yeah, once I got in, I was kind of like, oh shit, like engineers are amazing and tech is technology is incredible. And there's like a lot of like ahead of us, you know, um, that was like one of the things that became very clear after being at Google for a few months, it was like, it, it ain't just search, you know, um, and, and like other, 
other companies are going to be doing a lot with this stuff. Um, even like at that point too, there was conversations about like getting computers into cars and which again feels old, but it's like you're, um, or like wearable technology and glasses and watches and having like a computer in your clothes to like monitor your heart rate. And, you know, it's like, it's fun to see all that stuff start to like exist today. And, um, sometimes in forms that I don't think is exactly what we had anticipated, but other times it's like, damn, people kind of predicted this like 15 years ago and here we are. So, um, yeah, it's a fun field for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you had that gut instinct at Stanford when you were running to just be like, this is, uh, I've either outgrown it or I just don't have it. Regardless, it's going with your gut. Yeah. And I had my senior year, I broke my foot in, in practice and our team did awesome. And I had to assume a different role on the team on the sidelines and figure out what that was going to look like. And as soon as COVID happened, um, I was able to continue playing down here in Atlanta. Also, when COVID happened, there was not a lot of organized lacrosse. So the pros and the college students still had to practice and play. And so I just hopped in net for them and kept playing. And so I had, I still have aspirations at the moment to go play at the professional level. So hearing you say that you wanted to play or run at yeah. the professional level is awesome to hear. And it just goes towards, okay, I'm just following my gut. I want to do this. Yeah. I want to keep doing what makes me happy at my own speed. And maybe it didn't work in this situation. I know that I can still compete and do this at the highest level. And it, it translates into the career where it's, it's just, this is enjoyable. How can I get better at it? How can I evolve it? And how are things evolving? Because now with the automotive industry, there's so much change going on with EVs and electric vehicles going into th this new unseen space. And how do we gain an edge in different, different things that we do as a company that's different than anybody else? So it's fun to hear you say that when you were starting out to just say, okay, this is, this is something that is uncharted territory there's going to be a lot of change. How do I make my impact in it? And how, how do I make that change? So it's exciting to hear. And when you have something where I'm at now, it's just evolving. And so I'm, I'm in a role now that challenges me every day. And it's fun to be able to be in that space. And it's also forced me to grow up very quickly and figure out how, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm making this the best that I can. And also to the standard, that's not only myself, but also to the company. And it's also setting my own standard where it was just sports over time to realize, okay, well, I don't want to let my teammates down. That's the first and foremost thing. And as I've been able to continue to compete, it's just been a great ally in my life to have something outside of it along with the podcast to communicate with people and talk and learn stories and just learn it's it's just fun to be able to see how you're able to do whatever you want when you get out of college and make those decisions for yourself that are intentional yet also they just accumulate and they create your story we're seeing the same thing now that you did at google where 
those things that are so it seems like they're so far in the future are right here right now and there's Porsche just did something with Boeing in a, a couple of years ago where they're working on a prototype for a flying car and it's like okay uh, yeah. this is insane uh so just those kinds of things are exciting and makes you excited to go to work every day absolutely it's also this is the situation that I want to be in. I didn't, I thought I was going to be in data science, for example. And so thinking about marketing, it's like, what, what is marketing? I had no idea what it was. And so once I got into the role, it was almost, it was better that I didn't know because I was able to transform it and ask questions and figure out what this looks like. And then create new solutions to these questions that people have been asking for for so many years we're just in this time right now yeah yeah i think like the the like lack of knowing is such a is such a beautiful space to be in because like even when you like that's actually all there is like none of us really know much of anything and i think that like when you start to get trapped in like oh, I know how to do this. Like I'm going to, you know, even, you know, it's like tying your shoe. It's like, you like know how to tie your shoe and it's like, but you like do it a certain way. But then sometimes you might see someone who like ties their shoe a little bit differently. Like they like do some other like loop-de-loop thing with the laces and you're like, holy shit, like what? Like I've been doing it this weird way this whole time. Or like, that's a weird example. But like, I think that there's that like that, like kind of beginner's mindset and and like always having it or trying to figure out how to, always have it is such a refreshing space to be in because even if like there are certain problems that kind of come up that you can kind of borrow from past experience for to like be able to solve them but I think too so so often especially to today like we're seeing this so freak like so intensely with COVID and stuff it's like the solutions that worked before might not work as well today you know the as the environment changes like things kind of work differently or function a little bit differently. And I think that like, I've always thought it was a blessing when I started working at Google, there were like 30 college grads that started working in communications in this, in that summer. And like everyone majored in journalism or communications or, you know, creative writing or something in that field. And I had majored in human biology in college. And it was like, it was kind of nice. Cause I didn't like, I hadn't written for my school paper or like edited things. And like, so I came in so fresh and my ideas were always like a little kind, you know, like where I think like when, when I would first suggest something, it was sort of like, there'd be kind of like an, a raised eyebrow or like, uh, huh, like, can you say more about that? And then I would kind of explain what my idea was. And it was like, Oh, like, that's like maybe actually a pretty good idea. Like we should look into that. And, um, I think just like not being trapped by, knowing what's been done before or having seen that is such a, is such a cool spot to be in. And I think sometimes I'm still kind of chasing that feeling of like, like I almost wish I didn't know as much as I do about like the work and the field I work in, having been in it for like 14, 15 years, it's like, there's, it's nice to kind of, kind of like go back to the drawing board or go back to like, go back, um, get back to like square one or have that clean slate of like, how would I approach this if I didn't know 
what like what bad could happen or what the risks are and you're just a little bit more kind of like fearless and creative and trying to find a solution when you made that transition from corporate to consulting i'm sure that that's intimidating and then when did were you in communication with vine as well yeah so i've always like I've always worked in communications and like my main focus has kind of been like product at Vine. I did communications and marketing. Um, And I think like, even, I mean, there's like probably a whole separate conversation we could have about like, what are actually the lines between communications and marketing? Like there are some very traditional things as far as like paid media is marketing and like press stuff is communications, but there's a lot in the middle in there that I think is the loose lines are blurred. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've always been in communications and like, in a lot of ways have always been pretty deeply involved in, in product. I joke, but I'm kind of serious about it that I sometimes say I'm a product person who's worked in communications for like this time. Um, which is like my, my, I like that my communications approach tends to really start with like with the product. And I think that's always been, if you look at where I've worked, like all those companies have really cool and compelling products that are like innovative and interesting. Um, I don't think I'd be able to work somewhere that doesn't have that where like, you know, the, the, the press or the marketing stuff is more rooted around like partnerships or, you know, like stunts or something like that. That's like, not really my bag. I tend to kind of like to get at like the core of the thing. So, you know, in the case of like product stuff, it's like, what is the product? What makes it so interesting? And like, why, why should people like want it and and what can we tell them about it to help them understand how it'll like fit in or accentuate their lives um so yeah but um so yes at vine i did that yeah i I love vine um so it was a tragic day when yeah it came to an end and just how quick those videos were at the time it was like okay this is addicting and now we're seeing the same thing with tiktok yeah where it's just those quick videos and vine was the originator of that where it's six seconds. You, you can't post anything longer than that. So what are you going to make out of that time? So growing up with that platform, it was, it was amazing. I know it was really fun. That algorithm though on TikTok is a, is a special, a special beast as far as like. So it's how different is it than like what the intention of Vine was? Because it just seems like with Vine, you had the six second videos. It was really popular. Just the way people are, and maybe it's the time we're in with social media being spun in a mm. negative way. But I feel like I wasn't hearing the negative things around Vine like I am around TikTok. Yeah, that's interesting. I think with Vine. And you're in communication. So maybe you were the person <laughs> that was keeping that negative talk away. Yeah. So but, you did a good job. I think with Vine. There was the, there was certainly the novelty factor of like six second videos, the videos looping, um, and like it just like the like video on your phone and like the, it being very mobile focused. Um, at that point, like YouTube didn't even really have like a mobile offering, um, which is kind of crazy. But wow. um, I know. Crazy. So I think that that was like a part of it. Um, I think with TikTok you have, there's certainly some, you know, people who are concerned over like the fact that it's owned by a company that's in China and like, what are they doing with the data and things like that? I think it's something that 
is different than Vine. Um, and then I think too, like Vine was a little different. It, I think Vine kind of became something that was like the main, in, the purpose of Vine when it came out was like the founders, honestly, they were just, we make tons of videos on our phone and like, we look at our friends and our friends like album, like photos, like app is just all photos. And like, people aren't really making video and they like, wanted people to be making video more. And there was like tons of iteration around like what exact timeline, like what exact time length it would be and things like that. But like, they kind of launched with six seconds and the looping video and it worked. And I think like where it ended up going as far as the creativity on it and the influencers and that whole, like really that whole, uh, like that whole concept kind of coming to be because of Vine. Um, I don't think anyone necessarily like really could have predicted. Um, but like, it was definitely different in that like, I think TikTok is so addictive because of the, that algorithm being so compelling in terms of being able to surface like videos that people are going to want to watch. Um, Vine was much more rooted in like, we had like, it was like a follower model. So you like, you know, you followed accounts and like their posts would show up in your feed or there was like the explore page similar to kind of like Instagram where there was like curated content that would end up in that in like that section. Um, I think that that's another area where it's different, but I think a lot of the stuff with TikTok kind of, I think does stem from like its parent company and things like that. Um, but you know, much like Facebook, it's like, there are concerns and there's negativity, but there's also still a huge number of people using the product every day. So, um, that's always the thing that's really interesting to me is it's like, people seem to be somewhat like, there are some people that are scared and, you know, you know, nervous about how their data is going to be used or thing that, things like that. But yet people like still like can't stop using the product. Um, just kind of wild. It's like, uh, we, it's, yeah, it's like, there's a, there's an interesting, like, I don't know, down the line, like psychological study or something to be done around the fact that people can be like, so worried about this stuff, but continue to use these products. Um, so Yeah we'll see where that ends up, but yeah, I, I've heard the most parallels with tobacco, which, um, that's, that may be just the crowd that I'm around, but that just seems like a compelling comparison that you're, you're able to see, you know, this is not good for you. Yeah. I'm still using it. And it's, it's fascinating. And you're absolutely right. And especially with everything going on with the Facebook whistleblower, where there are documents released that they know that they have these negative side effects. I even think that if those, we all knew that beforehand, it's like, oh, okay, there's documents released saying these things. I could have told you this. So what are we really proving here? Yeah, well, I know. And like, there are some people that say at least they're, at least they were doing the work to like understand the ramifications but then at the same time it's like sure but a they probably hoped the data would end up a little bit different than it did and b they're not doing anything to stop the content now that they know what they know so Mm -hmm. um i think that like yeah facebook has long been in a they've been very like honest about kind of monetization and the business being the main like thing that they're optimizing for. And I think that, um, there have been a many times over the last decade or so that they've kind of gotten their feet held to the fire and, um, there hasn't been much consequence for them. So we'll see where this one ends up, but 
yeah right and it, well, it seems like there's also lack of regulation which you being in the space with companies that are at the ground level of this it's something like okay we can do whatever we want to to monetize yeah and what are we going to do to do that so it just becomes a beast because money drives yeah well and i think some of the challenge too is like where the the policy makers are like so out of touch with how the products are getting used like did you see that vi- that viral video about the guy asking yeah. about finsta uh-huh like it's like <laughs> And it's like, it's like, it's, it's, it's like hilarious, but it's also so sad. It's like this and like the, the woman being questioned, like, you know, like on the stand or, you know, getting questioned was like doing the best she could to explain the concept and still like he like, you know, wasn't listening and just kept asking the question over and over again. And it's like, there's such a lack of understanding and it's like, how can these possibly be the people who are going to be creating rules or principles around this stuff if they like, don't even know what the, like what they're dealing with at a, at a fairly basic level. Like that's not even, you know, you're not even getting into technical terms really there. It's like, the actual algorithm like that just thinking of that yeah and he's asking about the concept of fake accounts Um, yeah i know it was like Uh, like, you almost might rather have your intern in there yeah there was a there's a lot that's broken in our country (laughs) um (laughs) yeah but yeah it's an interesting time it is absolutely and it's the digital age um and i appreciate you taking so much time no it's Um, great it's been it's really fun talking with you it's been a blast i have one last question which yeah is a closing because i would love to know about what happened with vine do you know why they ended up shutting it down and what their vision was to transition into now now we have stories we have tiktok there was twitter version of stories which were called something else oh fleets fleets which are now gone yeah um yeah what what happened with that yeah i don't i i don't know i don't actually know all the details of like what went into deciding to shut it down um ultimately companies like have to ultimately there's like a limit, there's like resources and money and there's energy that goes towards things. And I think that like when Twitter bought Vine, it kind of launched as video for Twitter. It was a separate app. It like did its own thing, but it was like the easiest way to get video onto Twitter was to like make a Vine and post it to Twitter. And over the course of its life, time it like uh, it like obviously developed a sort of life of its own a community of its own like it was its own beast and thing um and I think though like we like didn't really have plans for like monetization like it's like you know it's not free to run a like I think at our like the company never got huge but you know at some point there was like 45 to 50 employees and it's like, you know, there kind of had to be a, like a little bit more of a longer term plan of how to maintain and, and in fact, like maintain it and, or like accelerate growth and like monetize and all of that. And in the world of, of like, 
do you focus energy on that? Like if you focus a lot of energy and resources into that, it's like kind of at the cost of, it would have to be at the cost of like certain Twitter things. And I think, so I suspect there was just something there around like, you can't do all the things. Um, I personally, like at the time I was running communications and marketing there, but like I, we as like employees found out that like the company was like and product were getting shut down sort of just before the outside world did. Um, so I like, wasn't really, I like, wasn't privy to those discussions, but that's like the sense I got. Um, and I think that like at the, at the moment it was like sad, but didn't necessarily feel like the wrong, like the wrong decision. Um, I think now that like TikTok is enormous, there is a little bit of like hindsight being 2020. It's like, that could have been fine. Um, but then it's like, I don't know if it could have been because like towards the end too, like a lot of big miners were like going to like Instagram and Snapchat even, I think, and like other platforms, like there's like, there were some older, like there were some articles kind of towards the end of Vine's lifetime of like creators wanting to get paid. And it's like, you can't pay people if we're not making money. And mm. so there had started, there was like some stuff that was starting to percolate that I think was, um, you know, introducing some headwinds, if you will. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like at, at, at the time it was hard, but like, a, like having a little bit of, even just a little bit later, it was like, you know, you can have some empathy for how like hard of a decision it was. And, um, I think that like, it, it, it like had, it's, it had a, had a really good run. Um, and I think that in some ways it like lived lasted, I think longer than, a lot of other like had left a bigger mark, I think, than a lot of other consumer products do. Yeah. So there's sort of like a maybe it was like the perfect time for it to get shut down while it was still kind of thriving. Um, but it wasn't thriving as much as it had been. Instagram launching video and stuff definitely cut into the usage and stuff. So the the landscape changed and kind of going back to our earlier conversation, it's like when Vine launched, it was like the only kind of mobile, like fun, good mobile video app. There were other ones that had tried that just like weren't particularly good. And, you know, three and a half years later, it was like a different, it was certainly a different landscape. So um, yeah, I kind of wish I knew, but I'm kind of glad I don't know like all that went into that decision. Yeah. Um, in some instances, ignorance is blessed. <laughs> Absolutely. And it had a, it had a yeah. big impact on my childhood, which is crazy. And, and going back again to the beginning of our conversation, uh, I guess last, last question. Um, sure. <laughs> if we were talking about eliminating all followers and just starting from scratch, what if following, by the way, following. I don't want to eliminate my followers. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll keep those. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but what if we eliminated all social media now you like Google that stays, but Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, I'm trying to think of any other Instagram, Instagram, Snapchat. Yep. What if all of those went um, away tomorrow? Just like Vine did. Um, I think Pete, like, I think people would figure out ways to like turn other existing channels into fill like fill that gap or solve that need you know whether it's discord or slack or 
WhatsApp or, you know, like I think people are creative and would figure out like certain types of workarounds. I think, so I guess that's like, but like ultimately I do think that for things like, I mean, I just don't like Facebook. So like, I would love to see Facebook go, but I think if it meant all of the other things going, I think that that would ultimately be maybe unhelpful in the long run. Um, just as far as some of the stuff that we were talking about before around getting exposed to different like ideas and thoughts and people. So yeah, I don't know. That's, I mean, it's a great question. Yeah, well, I think that I, like, I think of the, I think of the journalism age in the 50s, 60s, 70s, where you have the newspaper and then that evolves into now everyone has a voice. And so if you take it back, my initial thought is, okay, we go back to only a select number of people actually having a voice, which is just not reflective of the time that we're in. No. And it's like, it's terrible. Like the, the reason all of these things grew the way they do, they did or do is because like, there is like energy there, you know, people long to like, be able to connect with people. Distance is real. You and I wouldn't be having this conversation now if the only way we could do it is if we met up in a coffee shop and, you know, recorded it over the same like recording device. Um, So I think that like, Overall, and like, that's one of the things that's so fascinating about tech and stuff is like, overall, a lot of this stuff actually started with like really good intentions. I mean, even Facebook, like, and it's funny, like hearing you talk about starting to use it when you were like 13, because Stanford was one of the first schools to start using it. And it was like my freshman year, like we were one of the first universities to get access to it. And but like at that time it was fun. Like, you know, you were just hosting on your friend's walls and sometimes like having had too many drinks or something and you'd like delete it the next morning. And it was like, not a big deal. And I think if like, I guess maybe there's an answer there of like, if, if all social got removed, just like obliterated and like, but there were like guiding principles around what would allow them those things to be able to come back. You can't have these things because some of the companies that exist are like misusing the data or like turning the people, the users themselves into the product. And it's like too, too much privacy violations and all of that stuff. Like if there were some guiding guidelines around what would allow these things to exist, like, I think that could probably be some sort of win in the long run, but sadly we're not, I don't think that's like realistic, but I do think overall it would be a bad thing. And I think it's like on us as individuals to kind of regulate or like monitor our own usage. And um, I do think you start, like I've been seeing more and more people kind of do like a one month break or deleting an app from their phone, you know, so they only kind of check on their computer or whatever it is. And I think that stuff like that is super healthy. And I definitely like would encourage, I like always encourage people to do what kind of feels right for them at different points in time. So um yeah, more power to the individuals to make decisions and maybe getting rid of Facebook. Yes, yes. And yeah, especially with the current my... with the current policymakers, it is yeah. definitely up to the individual. Yes. We Yeah. Yeah. Well the removal of all social will never happen. <laughs> so but that's my take on, I guess, um, what would happen if it did. No, I love it. That's the theoretical. And I appreciate you taking so much time. I had a blast and yeah, Thank you so great. much for coming on. Yeah, of course. Love you guys.